The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of The Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. Inflation, no match for central bank interventions. Big news out of the banks. We got some earnings this week, and they didn't look too terrible. And we're getting to the bottom of the Fed's plan with our guest, Danielle DiMartino Booth. All this and much more on episode number 786 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. And welcome to the Discipline Investor Podcast, where we get together each and every week and we talk about all things related to finance and money and investing and markets and interest rates and inflation and uh, the list goes on and on. And here we are this week looking at just an incredible amount of, I, I would, I guess I would say confusion. Confusion about what the hell was that? How did the markets do that when the inflation number came out? And wait a second, what about the Bank of England making I mean, there's a lot of things that are going on. Hey, before I go any further, let me introduce myself. Andrew Horowitz here. I am the president of Horowitz & Company. We manage money. That's what we do. We manage money. We are actively involved in investing for people just like you, involved in the areas of either active or uh, active individual stocks or ETFs or mutual funds, depending on what is really appropriate for you. So what we're talking about today, what we have on the schedule is not just a sampling of academia. I tell you this all the time, but for the new listeners out there, this is things that we are thinking about implementing and working on. Now, I'll tell you something. What's really interesting about this year is that it's been one of those years. And, and when, I, when I say what, one of those years, what I'm really saying is it has been very difficult to really understand a lot of the intricacies about what's happening. Now, I don't mean, well, why is there inflation? We know about that. There's no question about that. What I'm talking about is really the idea of there has been such a turnaround and so quickly and understanding why the understanding is not about the markets, why things are being done as they are. In other words, why we're seeing that Fed officials and government uh, policymakers are making such incredible mistakes when it comes to the markets. It seems that they keep on making policy mistake after policy mistake. Now, you know, if you've been listening for any reasonable period of time that I have been very critical about what the Fed's doing. I understand some of the things that they put together with regard to their response for the pandemic and the and the requirements that they had at the time and the information that they were looking at and why they made some of the decisions that they made. But however, what we're seeing now is the implementation errors and the long-term impacts of some of the decisions that were done, I don't know if they were hastily, but they were done without foresight about the long-term nature of the impact of what they're going to do. And I've been railing against the Fed and what they're doing, thinking that 
They're moving way too quickly right now, trying to correct a policy mistake. But let's just hold that for a second because we're going to get to that with my guest today. What we need to look at is what is happening over the weekend in China and how that's going to impact markets, economies, the world with respect to what China is going to deliver for their next outward plan moving forward for China. We know that there is a significant amount of concern related to the economy there, and that is all predicated on how they are going to focus and change their ways when it comes to their zero COVID policy. That is very disruptive. How are they going to change or not the relationship they have with certain countries around the world? How are they going to plan on dealing with their Taiwan situation and whether it's going to stay the same or not? Whether President Xi is going to be president for life or whether or not there's going to be the possibility as remote as it may seem, of new leadership coming in and what that is going to mean in the future. So there's a lot of things that are happening right now in different regions and whether or not Putin is going to continue the onslaught, whether or not we're going to see the continuation of central banks making some very poor decisions, whether we're going to see the situation in the United Kingdom change dramatically. Already we saw some of that. There's no question we saw some of that. The fact is we saw that they fired, well, the the finance minister resigned, (laughs) which is the equivalent of being fired but trying to save face for some very poor judgment in presenting unfunded tax cuts and what that did to the entire financial system, the pension system, the, the pound, the... UK bonds. I mean, it was a real, it was a disaster. There's no question that we can qualify this and and, and say it what, what it is. It's a disaster. And that is all affecting your portfolios somehow or another. And with the continuation of increases in rates where mortgage rates are now 7% and the 10-year is floating around 4.1%, uh, that or or heading towards 4.1, knocked down to about four um, 3.9 and change, and whether or not you're getting you know a better interest rate on a two year at 4.3, all of this is impacting investing, and here we are at the beginning of earnings season, worried about what is going to be the outlook for many companies. Already seeing some of the the losses compared to a year ago or the reduction in earnings by banks that we saw for Bank of America coming out. We saw Citi, of course. We saw uh, um, Morgan Stanley. We saw, what else did we see? There was one more. Oh, Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan. That's it, J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, Citi. And what is that going to mean for some of the other ones that are coming up next week? And uh, then on top of that, we have a lot of more financials, a lot more companies that are coming in. And we know that there is going to be destruction of earnings. The question is how much of that is going to flow down to the net income? And if it does, what does that mean? Because already we haven't seen at all a substantial amount of of drop in employment. We saw the unemployment rate drop to 3.5% last week, right? So where where are companies worried at this point? 
You would think that they would go out and and they would get ahead of it, right? They proactively try to figure out ways to fire or lay off, whatever you want to call it, people in order to shore up their overall expenditures. And that's, of course, important. That's something that we're going to see probably. And that's where the worry and the nervousness comes right now when it comes to the markets. On top of the headwinds that we're seeing around the world, we have a situation where an economic slowdown is being pursued very aggressively by the Fed and other central banks around the world. But in doing so, as we talked about on DH Unplugged, something's probably going to break. And the question is, how are you going to deal with that? On one hand, I look at where we are right now and I say, you know, there's something to be said about we got a big discount on a lot of names out there that if we think about where we are in two, three, four, five years from now, it's not the worst time to start picking things up. On the other hand, I say, you know, what if we see a continuation of what we're seeing now and the pain in, in the interim, just in the, in the short term, it's going to be a lot too much for a lot of people to bear and you're going to pull out just at the wrong time if you're already invested. If you've been one foot in, one foot out for a while, and you've been in the process of dollar-cost averaging, you know, not the worst thing in the world. It's got to find your points and where to start investing. lot to consider. lot to consider. But I do want to get to our guest today because there is something that I need to discuss with her. There's a lot of discussion with regard to the Fed, and she has the answers. And our guest today is Danielle DiMartino Booth. Let me give you a little bit about Danielle. She is the founder of Money Strong LLC, an economic consulting firm. She began her career in New York at DLJ, as we call it, Donaldson Lufkin Generet, which I don't think is around anymore, and Credit Suisse. Uh, and she worked in the fixed income area, public and private equity markets, went to Columbia, by the way, which my daughter did as well in the master's program. And uh, she's also the author of the book, Fed Up, an insider's take on why the Federal Reserve is bad for America. And finally, founder of Quill Intelligence, which you got to check out. We'll have all the information on the show notes. As she is driving to the airport, Danielle, how's it going out there? It's great. It's great to be here. It's great to be with you again. Let me tell you, I mean, I'm. it's, it's not too difficult to prepare yourself for you because you actually know what you're talking about. <laughs> you get interviewed a lot, don't you? I get not as, you know what? I've cut podcasts down by about 75%. Really? Why is that? Because people are stupid? You know, I, um, you don't want to be overexposed. Right. And you don't want to be with somebody asking you questions when they, you want somebody to have an idea of what the answers are. So it was easy enough to whittle it down. And you, right. you came right through the filter. So good for you. <laughs> good for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, let's talk about a couple of things. There's a lot of things on my mind. I have been, uh, I, I'll share with you, you've, you've known this from the many times we talked, but more recently than not, uh, I have been a, a critic. Now, I'm an armchair critic, okay? So that's easy enough. And I know what to do because, you know, I get to say things and I don't have to take responsibility for what I think they should be doing, right? Um, but let, let's... Let's kind of wind this back, and I want to set the stage, even though we've talked about this a little bit, about your time at the Fed. And um, I want to ask you something a little different than, than, than we've talked about before, but I want to talk about when you, when you were thinking about working and being involved in working at the Fed. I want to know what you were thinking before you actually worked there, and then I'd like you to bridge that to what you really figured out what was going on 
by the time you left? So, you know, I, um, my, my father, may he rest in peace, taught economics and finance. Uh, I always held the Federal Reserve in high regard. I always felt it was it was an institution um, that deserved the respect of the um, American people and that it was critical to where the economy and the financial markets were headed. And um, I was not wrong about the critical role that the Fed plays, but clearly given the subtitle, why, you know, an insider's take on why the Federal Reserve is, is bad for America, I, I left with a different opinion of the institution than what I had when I walked in the door. Hmm. Hmm. Let's just say it wasn't as, you didn't hold them in high regard, I guess. Is the- <laughs> it, it was, it was, I, I was no longer fawning. I was no longer intimidated and I was no longer impressed. Yeah. So uh, it seems like there is this kind of uh, gentleman's agreement concept, this double secret probation, secret handshake, that information that is provided and talked about uh, and the, the theories and the uh, inside information is held secret for life once you're in. Is that, is that true to that? That's the way I feel it, it seems to me. There is. I, in fact, it's very unusual. We're in a very unusual chapter in Fed history because there are so many former insiders who are now speaking more freely than they have in the past, i.e. Bill Dudley, who used to run the New York Fed. He's highly critical of Jerome Powell and the way he has led the Fed, and and he's public about it. So there, there's a break in the orthodoxy, I think, uh, you know, whether it's Rich Clarida or Randy Quarles' very recent uh, uh, governors on the Federal Reserve Board, mm-hmm. and they're also... Uh, very, very public. And but it, whereas I used to be alone in that boat, uh, don't get me wrong. I sing a different tune than any of them. But when you speak about the idea of reverence for life, of of keeping the secrets, of of not translating what they're talking about into plain English, once you do that, you're mm. like, oh my gosh, there are a bunch of boring academics who are completely model driven, even if their model is broken. So I'll give you a very quick, very quick anecdote from the book. Um, The first day that Vice Chair Stanley Fisher, who came out of retirement to, to, to sit on the Federal Reserve Board, the first Fed meeting that he was at, he raised his hand and he said, I'm, you know, I'm affected by the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, at the headline level. So are my children. So, so is everybody who exists in this economy Mm -hmm. and they have to pay for fuel and they have to pay for energy. They have to pay for food. Uh, so that shouldn't be excluded. So why on earth doesn't the Federal Reserve make policy based on the actual or the closest thing we have to a realistic inflation rate? And you know, trepiditious uh, staffer in the back of the room at this Federal Open Market Committee raises their hand and mm-hmm. said, well, if, if we did use the regular, the real inflation rate, then we wouldn't have really the license. Our models would break. We wouldn't be able to make the policies we do. In other words, we wouldn't be able to hide behind zero interest rate policy or quantitative easing uh, that spurs asset inflation that we purposely don't gauge. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's 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 it's, uh, it's amazing though how we have been brainwashed. We have been 
uh, indoctrinated into the idea that one, that the Federal Reserve is all-knowing and all-being. And by the way, when they make an economic prediction, that's what it's going to be. But yet they're always, and really always, uh, not 100%, 98%, they're wrong about their predictions because it's like the weather to a degree. You have to change and all that. But it, it doesn't matter because they change at a later date. Their whole idea is for very much carrot and stick, isn't it? They are. And I think what people are struggling with so mightily right now, um, whether you're uh, Joe or Jane Q, citizen of the United States of America, or whether you're an investor, is why the Federal Reserve seems to have broken its, its pact. Why they're not playing by the rules that they made. What on earth are they thinking? You know, the, the, S, the S&P's down by 20%. And why haven't they come riding to the rescue? Because that's their job. They, they tell us whatever they want to tell us. But when push comes to shove, they're supposed to have investors' backs. So why haven't they stepped up to the plate? Where's my pivot? Where's my pudding? Yeah, so what's the answer? Well, the answer is there might be a regime change occurring before our very eyes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the odds are very much against that manifesting. And the odds are against Powell being the next Paul Volcker. But for the time being, he appears to be resolute in his stance and determined to see through a tightening cycle unlike we've seen uh, since, since Paul Volcker gave up the baton to Alan Greenspan. So love, love Greenspan is my. Do you have a favorite uh, Fed uh, chair? Mine, mine is mine is during my at least lifetime uh, is Alan Greenspan only due to his incredible use of the English language in terms of words that uh, archaic words that nobody ever uses and uh, using them in a sentence that uh, could only he could only do to baffle, confuse, and to mystify in an effort to. I'm not sure what, but to create some kind of an puzzle. aura. Yeah, I, I thought yeah. it was. I thought it was fun. Yeah, I mean, losing you. Hello. Uh oh, driving through a tunnel. I think. I got you. Wait, wait, wait. No, I'm Time out. I got. You sound like you're an auto tune right now. No, I'm, I'm really not. Go. I haven't Back. pushed any buttons. Yep. No, no, I thought you were going I'm through here. Yeah, it's okay. Um, but, so um, so I, was just, I was just saying that Alan Greenspan was the oracle of obfuscation, yeah. which I, I just made up. Yeah. And, <laughs> it was, uh, and, and, and fed up was exactly the opposite of that. I translated all right. of that gobbledygook. You know, he, he was interviewed by 60 Minutes shortly after he left office and said that he kind of a, 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 a professional sport for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and by the way, in the future, his follow-up interviews were always in plain English. Oh, yes. That was the funny thing. I, I, yeah, of course. You know, when he wasn't in a position of needing to confuse the public, yeah. all of a sudden he discovered the Queen's English. And I think that should be very telling to all of us from what is going on, that really the Fed, with their transparency, theoretically, with their uh, communication strategy, which is... Uh, bullshitting you, telling you, leading you. That's what it is, uh, all of us. The reality is that they have motives that are much bigger, deeper, and possibly different, but yet at the same time, hopefully we are caught up in the benefits of that. I have I have this theory. I have this theory. Uh, I don't think I 
posed this to you before, but that this whole thing that's gone on on over the last, we'll call it during the Powell regime, we'll call it that, okay? Okay. Because of some of the things that have gone on outside of, out, by the way, outside of his doing, this is one giant experiment. The pandemic gave great cover, allowed people to get all sorts of money, very cheap, uh, through stimulus from monetary policy, fiscal policy. The Fed wanted to see just how far they could stretch it out before kicking up inflation to really to really put it to the test, to see if today is different than it was 40 years ago, 30 years ago, whatever it was, right? But in a different manner, how much, almost a test of MMT in a way. And then they're going to do the exact opposite. In other words, take it back and stretch that to see how far they can push it till something to the edge of breaking. Is it possible that's what's going on? It is, and there's actually a reason for this. So, you know, I, I think I think in Jay Powell's first term, he was visibly intimidated by the econometricians and by the MIT mafia, as I like to call the Washington, D.C. <laughs> staff. And I think he was kind of bowled away by this idea of, oh, let's do an average inflation targeting. Let's see if we can't let inflation run hot for a little while to average out all of the years that it's run too cold. And we'll just bring them together and somehow we'll be able to keep control of everything. And so into this theoretical, untested waters, we have COVID wash up on shore. And so they start to see inflation tick up and they're like, no, no, this is good. It's going to average out with all of those years. We couldn't achieve a 2% inflation target. But along the way, they forgot that monetary policy works through the transmission channel of the banks. Mm. Mm. That's right. You you make you make policy loose Mm -hmm. and then the banks are the arbiters of credit worthiness. So they decide who's going to have access to ultra low interest rates, to the zero interest rate policy. And when you monetize fiscal policy, a couple seven trillion dollars, give or take, and and when you bypass the banking channel, when you circumvent the people who are supposed to determine who does and who does not, which corporation, which corporation does not get access to this ultra low financing, you ignite the mother of all inflations. Because it's no longer, it's no longer... JP Morgan or Wells Fargo or Bank of America. It's no longer them. It's the people have the money in their pockets. They've right. gone. They didn't have to go through any mm-hmm. loan process. They didn't have to apply for the loan. They just got the loan proceeds. And the Fed didn't realize that this changed. How the do they not realize? Mechanism. How do they not realize? Let's wait, wait, don't answer that question. Hold on to that question for a second. Cause I'm going to skip over to another discussion, which is going to ask the same question, same question twice. Ben Bernanke, congratulations, wins the Nobel Prize for economic theory, blah, 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 on studying the Great Depression and the impact of monetary policy and how during times of crisis it can be averted slash rectified, right? That's the gist of his of his Nobel Prize, right? That was, yes. Meanwhile, he didn't see anything back in the day that seemed to be problematic. Meanwhile, they, they the Fed, you're telling, me, you're telling me the Fed doesn't, didn't notice that, you know, maybe this is not the right way to do it. How, how do we put these people in charge with all this money and power? And by the way, just to clarify, and please back me up on this. When I talk about power, 
unlimited unchecked power. Yes? Absolutely. Yeah. From unelected officials. From un <laughs> So unlimited, un unelected officials, unlimited power, unchecked. Un un and if they do, by the way, if somebody says to them, hey, oh, no, 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 no. You can't do that. The independence of the Fed is sacred. Oh, bullshit. I'm a that you're absolutely right. You know? That is absolute bullshit. Yeah, total bullshit. And, and what we saw play out in the public sphere, what we saw play out with, and I will throw them under the bus. I would throw a Republican administration under the bus. What we saw with the Biden administration waffling, dragging its feet, having a live, it was like a reality show. Yeah. Game of Thrones, <laughs> Federal Reserve style. I'm going to, I'm going to pit Lael Brainerd who, who the Democrats wanted to come in and make permanent modern monetary theory. They wanted to, they wanted to institutionalize the, the, the new transmission mechanism of delivering MMT, of delivering universal basic income. So every single time Biden pulls Yellen up to the Hill, excuse me, a Freudian slip there. Every time <laughs> Biden pulled Brainerd up to the Hill, the stock market fell apart. Yeah. On that particular trading day. And that was the the, the vote of, of of that was the no vote that, that the investment community was giving somebody who was clueless about how dangerous monetary policy could be. At least there might be hope in sticking with Jay Powell because he was shrewd and he understood as a lawyer would that there are two sides to every story instead of sticking with exactly what the model says. So bear with me. While this was happening, the Federal Reserve staff in Washington, D.C. was paralyzed. So the last thing that they wrote was the word transitory. And then a leadership crisis breaks out at the Fed, and they don't know who their future leader is going to be. Mm. So they enter a state of policy paralysis. And it became extremely detrimental that even though there were people like the new Federal Reserve governor, Christopher Waller, you know, wet behind the ears, barely on the Federal Reserve board, comes out within weeks of, 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 of being confirmed and starting on the Federal Open Market Committee, being a member of the Federal Reserve Board, and says the housing market's on fire. We really shouldn't be in the business of buying mortgage-backed securities anymore. And you know that was July. And it wasn't until the subsequent March that the Fed started tightening policy, there's a reason for that. There was policy paralysis because they didn't know who their leader was going to be. So when, when Jay Powell was finally, he was nominated and left out there to dry while, while the Biden administration refused to put his name up for a vote. They kept trying to do buy one, get three free. <laughs> We're going to renominate the only Republican, but you're going to have to put three three progressives in for the price of getting him back. And he didn't and, want. It. And Powell wouldn't have raised rates during that period because that would have put his job in jeopardy. Well, it would have potentially put his job in jeopardy. But I think actually, had he been confirmed earlier than May of this, or earlier than May when he was finally confirmed, I think the Fed would have been hiking rates earlier. I really do. Mm. I, I'm not saying that to to give Jake. Powell cover. Yeah. I'm saying that because I think that at one point you saw how very uncomfortable he was with the narrative because, again, as a non-academic, he knew he was lying to the public by saying that inflation was going to be transitory.
That's terrible. I mean, seriously, that's terrible. It is, but that's what happens when you politicize. Yeah, 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 yeah. Institution with, with that kind of power. Yep. And and like you said, um, the, 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 the unlimited power. The question now is, though, is there a... Is there policy paralysis of some sort, even though uh, Powell's in there, on the back end of this? And, you know, what I, I find very fascinating about, I, I think, if I can, I, I think this is, well, this may have started with Yellen. But this really was uh, uh, exacerbated by Powell, where Powell said during the pandemic and during the subsequent period, we are not thinking about thinking about thinking about, you know, how they get these things and then they start using them a lot. You know, they, oh, that worked. Keep on saying that one. So, exactly. you know, we had Bernanke with the green shoots. Remember that whole green shoots thing? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we got all these things, you know, all these little things. Transitory, that worked. Okay, that's good. That's good. Oh, yeah. that, they like that one. It's like they have something in their ears, in their earpiece. Oh, yes. Thumbs up. Keep going. Say it again. Say it exactly. again. Exactly. <laughs> uh, wait, let, let's see if we can create a global financial crisis. Alan, just keep saying measured. Yes. And right. for 17 meetings in a row, raise interest rates by 25 basis points so people have already factored everything in and blow up the mother of all leverage bubbles in the background because you keep saying measured, meaning I'm just going to make sure that nobody gets hurt here. We're just going to keep making monetary policy. We're going to keep it too easy for too long, but we're going to stick to the script of measured increases in interest rates, 17 interest rates in a row, while you've got subprime wild party making going on in the background with Angelo Mazzillo, who was yellow. Oh, remember TV. him? He, you know, he, was, he was golden yeah. yellow. Yeah, remember that? Yeah. And, and, <laughs> country, and by the way, for those of you who don't you know, know, basically country. those of you who don't know, he was uh, Countrywide, uh, Countrywide Financial, which was the uh, mother of all. had And he had a, it wasn't even a sunbed tan. It was some kind of spray tan thing that made Trump's tan, by the way, look calm. It, it did. He, he made Trump look like salmon instead of orange. <laughs> so uh, is it possible that we, so, so what I was saying was that, that Powell talked about the idea that we have, we're not going to be thinking about thinking about thinking about now he's in the mode of, Hey, we're not going to, we're not going to stop increasing. We're not going to stop increasing. We're not going to stop increasing. Why does he take this tack that he tries to project very long-term policy uh, positioning when they really can't even get the next three months right? Well, that's a really good question. Unless, in my humble opinion, because he is a pragmatic person. It, no, nobody is like saying, no Google for you. No mm -hmm. headlines for you. Mm -hmm. You're not allowed to follow apartments.com that's telling you that rental inflation has rolled over. You're not allowed to follow the Case-Shiller Index that's showing you that home prices are falling at a record pace. You're not allowed to follow any of that real data. Mm -hmm. You're just going to have to say, you know, shelter inflation is running at 7% in the CPI. Therefore, we're just going to keep going. You know that inflation is rolling over, and yet you're insisting that it's not. So what if he's got the ulterior motive? What is that? What if he was, well, maybe he wants to break the Fed put. This is something I keep saying. And if that's what you want to do, if you want to, if you want to pull back control of monetary policy away from the markets, back to the actual central bankers, then you have to put the investors, you have to rip them out of the driver's seat. 
And that's a huge 40 year impossible mm. task. Mm. I don't see it. But what if he's trying? What if he's trying to get there? How can you do what, that when what? when central banks around the world are? It, it, you would have to do it around the world. You, you would have you would have a fleeing of any you know because well, again, what's the purpose of the central bank? And how fascinating, by the way, that every country has a central bank. It's 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 like a it's like a virus that's spread, and everybody decided to keep it permanently. You know, you look at um, some of the things that have gone on with regard just just this week, just this week with central banks. Bank of Japan, it looks like on Thursday of this week, there was a massive intervention in the yen. Yen was coming down to a 40 plus year low and uh, about a buck, 147 yen per dollar um, from where it was up huge. I mean, huge move on the dollar, of course. Looks like there was um, this intervention. Bank of England, with I, when we look at some of the things that went on over the last week, bonehead knuckle draggers making rules talking about how they're going to do a tax deal in the UK and England, uh, unfunded. And the, the, everybody says, screw you, I'm not buying your bonds. And you could take your currency and shove it right up your arse. So um, yeah. can you explain what's going on, though? What, what, is, is it this, this, well, these interventions? Is it dollar, is it, what, I, what's going on? I think that the post-pandemic world, it, it basically took away the ability to make fiscal policy. It's like if you want to if you want to crawl into bed with the printing press, if you want for me to monetize all of this emergency stimulus, then the monetary authority now has the only authority to also make fiscal policy. Otherwise, the printing press is going to get turned off, and you're screwed. And wait, the pound's going to go. Are you saying? Your, wait, are you saying? With the dollar. You're saying that now, the theory is that post-pandemic, the Central banks are going to be the ones that can control fiscal. Is that not what we just witnessed in England? Mm, I guess to a degree. I don't know. Mm, I'm thinking about this. I really don't know because it seems like the 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 investors ran and the central bank came to the rescue. They did, and they were forced to come to the rescue, but they also forced the policy. Oh, to change. Yeah, to change. Yeah, good point. Good point. Good point. Well, because it was stupid. Who does that? Who does an unfunded thing and then gives t tax breaks? And then, by the way, we're still not out of the woods with them yet, you know, because they still have to buy bonds. Everybody's like throwing up their hands going, screw you. We're not buying your stuff. If you're not going to fund it, you're in terrible shape to begin with. How could you do this? And it's a t complete, absolute, colossal collapse of confidence with the current administration. How often have you ever heard somebody said, oh, my God, I wish Boris Johnson was back? I mean, look. exactly. But look, take away, take away from Truss's suggestions, giving the, the highest pay, the, the highest paid taxpayers a break. Take that element away. Okay. Focus, focus solely on we're going to make it easier to do business in England. Yeah. That maybe wasn't such a bad idea. Okay. You know, we're, we're, we're looking out to the long term. And but but because they led with the wrong message, we're going to give the wealthiest a tax break. It was game over from day right. one. But it was game over because it was also un it, was, it was unfunded, right? And the and the other problem was now they have a. a but, but 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 the problem really is now in the in the in the in the pension markets. I mean margin calls, and and it's that the of the if you're getting margin calls in the pension market, that's very sad. Saying that you were 
leveraging up pension monies. And that's a problem, in my opinion, that's a problem to begin with. It's a problem to begin with, but if you're joking, you know, if you're if you're running a pension in effect a zero interest rate environment and and you're tasked with making sure that money's there for the pensioners, what are you gonna do to get the returns necessary to deliver on your commitment? Yeah, no, I get in it. A zero interest rate environment. Yeah, I get it. You're still you're still so breaking up if, you're breaking up a little bit. If you don't do anything to make up oh, yeah. If you're if you're pension, you know, are you supposed to say keep my money in guilt? Right. King. Zero. Oh, we just lost her. Hang on, let's get her back. Let's get her back. Are you back? You dropped off. I think you're back. Oh, Danielle. Drive I'm, back. I'm back. I'm back. There you go. Now you're better. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I mean, it's it's a problem for them. And it, and and you know what? Maybe what happened and why I'm calling them knuckleheads and why I'm calling them stupid and knuckle draggers and all the other things is because they're just making really poor decisions. But well, you know what? I, I'm going to push back. Everybody's paying the price for pretending like there was no price. Yeah. There was never, well, never going to be a price yeah. for bad policy. Right, right. That it was always going to be the the, the the proverbial free lunch. We're never going to have to pay for running the printing press because we did it in the name of the, the of, of a global pandemic. pandemic. Yeah, yeah. So that leads me to a next question: the big fat elephant in the room, the massive amount of, I, I you know, it's funny because I'm I'm at a loss to understand why we're raising rates so dramatically here in the U.S. So dramatically that obviously is causing things around the world to break without, and at the same time postponing and not really doing a lot, not doing a lot, I should say, to run off some of the balance sheet. It seems to me that that's not smart. We should well, have look, done it more balanced in a, in a more balanced approach. Well, liquidity, you can call it what you want, but whether it's a rate hike or rolling off $95 billion and they are up to that run rate. We may feel like quantitative tightening 2.0 was a test, it was just a, a dress rehearsal mm -hmm. for the first three months. But we are there and the markets are feeling this liquidity depletion in addition to the rate hikes. Tightening is tightening. You can call it what you want. But I'm going to defend the Fed by trying to do the, a slow run rate up to maxi maximum quantitative tightening while getting the Fed funds rate up to where maybe just maybe, say you get the Fed funds rate to 5%. Mm -hmm. Maybe next time you come in to loosen policy, if you finally pulled your head out of your R's, mm -hmm. you don't have to go back to the zero bound. Maybe you can stop at 2%. Right, 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 right. Well, we know that zero. But you got to get, but you got to get the rate up enough to where you have enough ammunition to take it down. Again, this is it's it, it this is stupid and stupider because you should have never you should have recognized after the financial crisis that that the zero interest rate policy was broken so maybe maybe after the pandemic hit you say you know we're going to stop at 2% because it didn't work we're going to temporarily blow up the balance sheet until we're sure that this systemic risk moment is coming coming gone and then we're going to step back because we've injected so much we've monetized so much fiscal policy that we're going to step back and say, okay, that's enough. Economy run on your own. I have but a instead, question about that. Yeah. 
I have a question about this. That it's 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 an in between question. You said the zero interest rate policy, ZERP, as we call it, right? Yep. Can you explain to me what the hell the zero to point two five percent is, or the one to one and a quarter is? What is this range, and who gets what? Well, they're trying to hold the the rate that they're trying to hold the overnight rate in a band because they have these facilities, because they're paying interest on excess reserves, because there's a reverse repo facility that's got, oh, I don't know what, two, two and a half trillion dollars in it. Uh They're trying to make sure that interest rates don't go too high or sink below the level so that they can maintain control of the overnight lending market, which they clearly lost control of in 2019 when overnight collateral rates spiked to double digits. So this gives them a little breathing room in certain circumstances to be a little bit more nuanced in what they're doing? In theory, yes. But (laughs) the standing repo facility has never been tested and we're about to see if it's going to have to be deployed because if they keep on pushing like a bull through a china shop with these unusually large, I mean, it takes me back to the princess bride, you know, creatures of unusual, rodents of unusually large, whatever. Um, but if they keep pushing through with these with no regard for what's breaking along the way, you know, my, my concern is that they're going to have to deploy some of these emergency facilities and banks consider them to be a source of stigma. You don't want to like, you know, present yourself to the lion as a bleeding animal and say, come eat me. Mm-hmm. But and, and yet if you go present yourself to the discount window, that's exactly what you're doing as a bank. You're saying our counterparties have stepped away. And they don't want to do business with us. So we're forced to go to the Fed and therefore we're a wounded animal. So go ahead and, and go, why, don't, why don't you just have a run on our bank and let's see how that works out for our shareholders. So they have a facility, but that has not had good uptake, even though they rolled it out months ago, no bank in their right mind because of that stigma of saying, you know, we are, we're in desperate need of the assistance of the lender of last resort. So it's 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 a problem that the Fed has, and they could very well be tested in coming months. Oh, wild, 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 wild. Okay, um, last question I have for you. I, I think this is um, well. There's two questions. I wanted to ask one thing. Global central banks have usually worked together in coordination. They've done things, you know, for back channeling, like you said, of creating. Um, uh, uh, taking taking out some counterparty risk on certain circumstances, maybe some swap uh, lines, swap lines, all that know. stuff. Yeah, a lot of good stuff. So now that we're in a time that we would call it uh, less globalization, and as I call it, and I've named it selective isolationism in a way, more under Trump than we see under Biden, but still we've cut ties to this one. We're pissing off that one. We're going, you know, that whole thing, right? How is this all going to work if, if, if Europe is no longer with uh, England, you know, the whole Europe, Eurozone thing, and now we're all angry at these guys and China in the background over here. And How does that all work now? This is a look, we're watching a live experiment. Mm. You, I mean, this is live. Mm. This is like, you know, in, in the 1950s, whenever it was that you were on live television, <laughs> there, there's no pause, edit and retake. Right, right, right. And that's what we're watching play out in front of our very eyes because of the magnitude of 20 some odd trillion dollars of quantitative easing and now trying to begin to extricate yourself from it when everybody's knee deep in the same failed policies. So it's like, who's going to fail first? And if they fail, well, what's the contagion effect going to be on this country? Yep. 
Yep. Yep. And and, and you know, in his Jackson Hole speech and in in in, in his most recent press conference, he was like, well, you know, we understand that we're part of the global financial system and we're part of the global economic ecosystem, but we're going to make policy for the United States going forward. It, it's like, wait a minute, who threw away the collaboration game, game playbook? Who did that? Mm, 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 mm. And that's where we are. Yeah, final question. Do we need a Fed? Oh, I think we need a Fed. Unfortunately, we need a radically reformed Fed, I mean, radically reformed Fed of truly independent bankers. But, you know, my stock answer is if you see what the Chinese have done with United States intellectual property Mm -hmm. and the way they've been able to infiltrate, can you imagine what happens if we're like, okay, we're going to close the lights off and nobody's going to be, you know, there, there will no longer be a shepherd making sure that there's no wolf inside of our banking system. And we're just going to, we know that we're all connected. We know that cyber threats are real, but we're just going to leave the banking system completely untended and see how that works out. And we know that, you know, once bankers get a little leeway, they take a lot more. It's just the way it is. They know that in the end of the day, somebody once said to me, you know, I said, Hey, what do you want to be? You know, if you ever reincarnated, I'm like, I don't know, you know? And, And he said, you know what I would be? I said, what? He goes, a bank. Because a bank never dies. And if they do, they're just born again. Yep. <laughs> Very <know>? true. <laughs> and that's because, you know, in, in, in the 1920s, this is something that my, my mentor Lacey Hunt brought to my attention. In the 1920s, a failing bank had to go to the discount window and had to fail. But at some point after the Great Depression, somebody on high said, it's a bank. We can't let it go. And right. the problem has just grown and grown. And now it's a monster with eight heads. And the banks are highly aware that they're too big to fail. And they take advantage, ultimately, of the U.S. taxpayer. Hmm. Yeah, we had on the author of The Creature of uh, Jekyll Island. Yes. Which was a great book discuss- discussing the creation of the Fed and all the bankers that were there. It was bankers that created the Fed, by the way, just to be clear about this, right? Anyway, well, listen, was. we're going to help you. I uh, hope you have a very pleasant journey the rest of the day on your way back home to to Texas. And uh, appreciate you coming on, talking all about this. this is Daniel, Danielle DiMartino Booth. And um, I want you to make sure to get a book. It's called Fed Up. You can get it, of course, at Amazon, all that. Also go to uh, her website. We're going to put the links on the show notes for episode number seven. What do we got here? 786 on com. What do you want to tell people how to get in touch with you? I, I look forward to it. No, how, how, where can they get, where can they go? Oh, sorry. Um, you, you, you blanked out for a minute. Um, Quill Intelligence, come to quillintelligence.com. We publish eight times a week. We have zero agenda. We only have interest in telling you the truth. So please come visit. Love it. Love it. All right. Have a great day. Thanks so much for joining me. Appreciate it. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. Bye-bye. Until next time. Thanks. Bye-bye. Now that's a great guest. I mean, come on. Great information, great insights. I always find it very refreshing when I talk to Danielle because it, 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 it grounds me a lot better with understanding where the Fed's head is at. And to understand they are only human. To bring them down a peg or so, or down to earth, so to speak. So we understand that they are people that make mistakes. And that's an important consideration when we look at what they do. Now, they're smart people. And it's not just the Fed. It's not just Powell. There's hundreds of thousands of people that work at the Fed, that are doing all the research all the time to understand what's happening. But it puts it in such a great perspective, and I really highly encourage you to go out and buy her book, 
fed up, it's on, uh, fed up, it's on, it's on Amazon and, and really check out what she does, the, the free writing that she does and the things that she talks about really a great resource. I am so happy that she comes on the show. Um, and, and as she mentioned, she has cut so many of them in the past, but we're one of the ones that she'll, uh, come on because, uh, I think she understands that our listeners know what's going on and can appreciate her work. So that's great stuff. Hey, listen, until next week, thank you so much for joining me. I'm Andrew Horowitz. Horowitz and Company is the company. The DisciplinedInvestor.com is where you can find more information about what we do on a regular basis. The book giveaway is officially over. So if you didn't get your name in, a lot of people got their name in already. We're going to pick that. We're going to tell you who won next week. Uh, and, um, well, we'll probably just send them out in the mail instead of naming anybody. But we'll, maybe we'll do both. But anyway, we'll uh, put the 10 people, their books out and send them out to you. Thanks so much for participating in that. It was fun, that, that giveaway. Uh, we'll do it again maybe in the future. We'll see. Uh, thanks for joining me. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice, or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida, and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training.